Hello and welcome to the Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Cope, and today we are talking to Amy Jones, an incredible singer and entrepreneur, businesswoman. She has conquered the world in many ways. Before we start, I just wanted to add something that's missed off the front here. Amy, formerly Amy Said, has changed her name back to Jones in honor of her late father and his musical legacy. So we touch on it, but not the reason why. Thought I'd drop that in here. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Jazz Podcast. In conversation with musicians from the UK jazz scene and beyond. And now your hosts, Rob Cope and Tara Vinton. Amy Saeed, welcome to the Jazz Podcast. How are you doing? Start again, start again. It's start again. Jones. You've got to be Amy Jones. Yeah, it got to be Amy Jones, yeah. All right, sorry. I should have asked you that. <laughs> Although you can leave that in, because yeah, right. that's a whole self. <laughs> all right, let's deal with that first. Amy Jones, welcome to the Jazz Podcast. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. This is um, it's really exciting. This has been uh, every show at the moment. I feel like I start by sort of going, "This has been six years in the making," but this one is no exception. It has been, and many, many full starts. Many yeah. full starts. Yes. <laughs> so tell let's us. Talk about- let's talk about you. Tell us things. Well, what do you want to know? Um, who are you? Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm Amy. Um, I am a singer. Um, I, ha- I wear many different hats. I run a relatively well-known-ish, I guess, um, function band in London, um, which uh, dates back to when you and me, Rob, met, isn't it? I think. Yeah, we met in 2010 which is a long time ago. Even the band probably predates me. Well, really slightly. 2009. <laughs> so we've been doing that for 14 years. Wow. Oh, I'm really happy to have been around since near the start. But sometimes yeah. sometimes I did a gig um, for your band uh, last year. And one of the there was two sax players on it. And neither of us had done it for a little bit. And the other guy said to me, how long have you been doing this band for, Rob? And I said, since 2010. And he was like, all right, you'll know what to do then. And I was like, oh, God, will I? (laughs) Oh, my God. Who was it? Uh, Hoagie. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's been a very long, long journey. A long (laughs) journey filled with blood, sweat and tears, quite literally. And I can't believe that it's still standing 14 years later. Um. But here we are, still going, still going strong. Not sure when the end will actually be. Well, you've had some incredible successes this year as well. Like the the, we can talk about the World Cup. We can yes. talk about well, there's yeah. so much. But but um, you you remind me of me because I wear many hats, but in a slightly different. I wear different hats to you, but you know, trying to everything I do, acting as if it's the only thing I do, and trying to mm. not make a fool of myself doing it um which uh is something you are very very good at so tell us about the singing first of all how did it start well I started um it's funny uh, you should say without making a fool of yourself because actually that has been me many times during this process (laughs) (laughs) 
trying to do too many things but I appreciate that that's your outlook on me thank you no no that's my outlook on myself I would never think it of you <laughs> yeah no I'm saying I'm, I appreciate that you said that <laughs> and I um it's been it's there's definitely been some embarrassing moments at times but anyways um so yeah I started the band um with with the guys that are basically still the core unit um in 2009 well they'll say it's 2008 or right. even two but we're not going to go there because that nearly is 20 years and i don't yeah. get my head around that so we're going to go with 2009 so that's the official start date Sounds everything was a practice so, run oh i love that good listeners if you want to check this out the band is called the white keys so you can google yeah. it if you want to see how to build your own empire then this is amy's example well that's how it looks on the surface yeah it looks all shiny on the surface of course but there's obviously been plenty of uh well I mean I could be here for hours so anyways moving on um yeah so I started it basically that this is this has kind of been the, the problem the blessing and the curse and I think a lot of band leaders will relate to this um I've spoken to a lot of people who have kind of been in similar boats and it's the same kind of issue that arises um I guess I started the band because I was quite proud and yeah. I want to ever be in a position of like knocking on people's doors for work I'm not naturally a hustler like I find it really difficult I find it really difficult to network um because I feel like I'm I'm quite genuine and I, I think that I can't fake it so um I think some people are really good at it and it's an amazing skill to have but it's just not something that I've ever ever been good at um and yeah, so I started it because I wanted to sing, basically. You know, I wanted to be singing all the time and I wanted to be learning how to sing and get better and, you know, challenging myself. So as a result of that, it was never like a money-making exercise um, or a business exercise. I had no business experience whatsoever. I was just a singer who wanted to sing with good musicians. Um, and I guess because because that happened and because that was my goal, you know, I surrounded myself by the best musicians and we played the best music and the, you know, the most challenging music and, you know, in a, with a constant goal to better myself as a, as a singer and a musician, as a musician. Uh, but the problem I think with that, which is also as, you know, obviously it's a blessing as well, is that people bought into that. Yeah. So people bought into it being, you know, levels of, I guess, uh, I don't want to, well, it is, like, it is excellence sometimes, you know, like there was definitely, there's definitely been moments of excellence, I think, within the band as a function band and people saw that and they bought into it and I never, ever wanted to have my name put on something that was below par. It's obviously a very cowboy, it can be a very cowboy-esque industry and that was obviously something that was really important to me from the very beginning to avoid. So we were always operating with integrity, we were always operating you know, at the highest level of like excellence and quality that we could. But as a result of that, you know, the band completely snowballed. <laughs> yeah. And grew into this humongous company. <laughs> it grew into this humongous company that like I'm still here running 14 years later. And um and there's been all sorts of, you know, stories and challenges and uh highs and lows, like really chronic highs and lows, you know, within that process because I just didn't know what I was doing. And um, and I had to learn on the job and suddenly, you know, the band was turning over like insane amounts of money that I'd never even dealt with. Like 
<laughs> I remember on the first gig that we ever got a thousand pounds in cash. I looked at that thousand pounds and I was like, wow, I've never seen this much money in my life. And like a few years later, I was, I was managing, you know, there was like three or four gigs a weekend, like every, every weekend for like, you know, nearly the whole year. Um, and I was in my mid twenties and I'd had no business experience. I was still desperately trying to like hold on to my career as a singer and like, you know, have variety and all that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's been hard. I'm not going to lie. Like it's been a, it's been a, a fruitful, but very, very challenging process, um, which has now paid off. Like, you know, we're here now and the company is um, finally at zero from all of its startup costs, which were extortionate. Um, and we are profitable and we have an amazing team around us, which is like a family and the gigs are a joy to be a part of. Um, and we get great opportunities. Yeah, I mean, we were asked to be resident band for the World Cup last year in Qatar, which was something that I never could ever have imagined, you know, that we would have. So that kind of opportunity. And it was just amazing. So I can't complain. But back to the how shiny it looks on the surface, it's not. It's definitely not all that, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah. Well, let's come back to it. I want to talk about your singing, you call your singing career um, as yeah. well, and some of the some of the music that you've done that's just your own. Um, how did you first get into singing? Tell us the origins. Um, so I started quite late actually, and this kind of it all is all quite complicated. It's quite a complicated story, and it all kind of like plays into mental health and all that kind of thing. I think I started off as a singer when I was well no I didn't I, I actually started as a singer quite late but I was very involved in music growing up so my both my mum and my dad ran big bands so they ran big bands until I was about six about seven seven or eight years old huge part of my weekends we used to go away you know traveling Europe and stuff with my dad um and I used to love it like you know I was listening I didn't know what the songs were at that time but I was listening to big band music every single weekend traveling with my parents um, and then my dad tragically died on stage um, whilst playing trumpet when I was eight years old. Um, and it was so traumatic for my family and my mum that music literally stopped. Like it just stopped. Everything stopped. Um, all memories of him were hidden away. Um, my mum, you know, well, it's probably going to get a bit too personal, but it's, even now it's still a problem, you know, like the the dealing of that situation. And it was like. 28 years ago now yeah. um is there a reason all all of everything was hidden away or at least a reason that you want to discuss now well she couldn't she couldn't she couldn't deal with the grief like her right. whole life had from her you know like she she just couldn't she couldn't bear the thought of um she just couldn't bear it like you know my dad my dad was an incredible person and he was an insane musician um, insane jazz trumpeter and um and you know he was he was renowned you know where we used to live I'm from Worthing in West Sussex and he was renowned in the area like even just as a music teacher and a band leader you know he wasn't like some sort of prolific like album releasing musician but he touched the lives of many many people so much so that and to this day I've never seen anything like it um so much so that his memorial service um, filled out the entire assembly hall in in Worthing, which is a huge venue. Like, you know, people came to his concert um, to remember him, which I always thought was quite a hazy memory. I was just like, did that actually happen? But I've seen videos and it did happen. <laughs> like wow. that was the amount of my dad, yeah. 
So you can imagine, I think my mum, mid-30s, two young girls, it was just too traumatic for her and she couldn't bear any reminder of him whatsoever. So music stopped for her too. So then we went through this really long period of having no music. She remarried um, to my stepdad, who is not musical at all. Um, and, and you know, she tried, to, I think, to get music out of him, but it just wasn't the same. And so I didn't actually come back to singing until I was 17. I didn't even know I had a voice at 17. You know, I, I, was, I was going to like choirs for fun. And one time um, my teacher pulled me to, the, you know, the choir leader pulled me to one side and got me to, you know, start to teach me. And then within a few lessons, I was suddenly like singing these songs. And I had no idea that I was capable of doing that. Like no idea. Um, and that was kind of the turning point. And then I think that was probably, it must've been about 18, 17, 18. Um, because ending up at Leeds College of Music was actually a very snap decision. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what wow. I was going to study. I can't believe you weren't even like sort of aware of your own voice age 17. And then you're, you're going to Leeds College like a year later. That's yeah. really, really remarkable. Yeah. I took two years that year. So like I, so I remember, I think I, I remember really wanting to be part of a band. So I did the whole like, <laughs> the 17, the whole like, we want you posters around where I was living, which was actually Bolton at that time so I managed to like go and get loads of like recruit loads of band members and I actually met my first boyfriend through that process literally I'm not I'm talking like posters in a phone box Rob like that's me (laughs) age 17 (laughs) trying to recruit band members in an area um so yeah so I did that and it was like the it was like the we want you picture as well you know that guy's Uncle Sam right like I literally had him on I know the ones yeah, from the like the like um my like Second World War sort of American propaganda <laughs> machine, isn't it? I managed to make a band and like that band, um, you know, my I, that band resulted in a in a relationship that obviously ended in it ended in the end. We were super young, but but basically he actually got he 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 switched a lot on for me music wise because he was an amazing musician and managed to find uh, Mark and he was great like and he he kind of like opened up this whole new world for me um and I yeah became part of like the Bolton music scene this is so cool I can't believe I never knew this yeah we had like a lot of rock bands I loved it we were like we thought we were like Evanescence I loved it I was like yes I was like getting my outfits together like planning everything loved it so I think like I've done a year of that of songwriting and like you know and making music and um and I realized that that's what I wanted to do. So then I was, so then, so then, yes, then Lee's College of Music kind of came up just as someone, I mean, I was actually working at McDonald's. I'm not going to lie. Like I was <laughs> working at McDonald's at the time and somebody, I was working in the drive-thru and the girl that I was, that I was working the drive-thru with was like, oh, have you tried Leeds? Nothing to do with music. She's like, oh, Leeds is cool. And then I saw that Leeds had the College of Music and I was like, oh, cool, I'll try there. And I applied really late. Like I got in it, like I pretty much got in at clearing, I think. Like, right. um, and yeah, I got in and then that was it. So when I joined Leeds, I met everyone that I still work with now, you know, and, yeah. and I think I'm not sure 
how much I got out of it musically. I probably would have, I, I would have liked to have done the jazz. Didn't know, you know, I didn't know at that time. I was still like a budding musician, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I did the pop course and, but, but as a result, I met everyone that I'm now working with today. So I can't force it, you know, like I think people say with music course, it's because you get out of it. Uh, it's up to you what, you know, what you want to do. So I did, I got low of it, but I got out of it, I think in a business and a gigging sense yeah. and not much music sense and came like that's the story you formed your band the white keys like in leads with other people that i think also based on who i know you were there at a, at a real golden golden generation if i can call it that of musicians who were there who have now all gone on to be incredibly successful in their own right as well yeah definitely it was a really interesting it's a very successful, it was a very successful team across, you know, we've got all the jazz, you know, the, the really renowned like jazz musicians. So many came out of the, those couple of years, like, you know, from an artist perspective, you've got Bruno Major. He was in my year. He was in on the jazz course, tons and tons of session musicians. Um, people who, there's so many people that are still doing music now as their job. Yeah. Um, Sure, so many fell away, but like you know, I, th I think that it was definitely, definitely a good innings for sure. Those couple of years, really, there was a lot of people, a lot of very hungry people that you know, kind of took it by the horns and and did the best with with what they had. Yeah, um, and I do have really fond memories of Leeds. Like I, I have to say that I had to work full time, so because I used my student loan to set up the company. <clears throat> so um, so I was working a lot alongside my college course. I, I pretty much was working full-time. I had a bar job and I also had an office job. So I do feel like my musicality took a hit because of that. Like I wasn't able to go to as many jam nights as I wanted to. I wasn't able to go to like, you know, as many gigs as I wanted to and be part of like, I missed all the freshers, everything, all of that. Like I wasn't there. Um, so... But I did get, I did get a lot out. I can't, I, I can't complain. Like, you know, my, my memories of Leeds were very fond. And, and, I, and I think that, I think as much as I would have loved to have got more musicality training out of it, I'd have loved to have done jazz. I'd have loved to have like learned about harmony and all that kind of thing at that point. Um, the benefit, the benefit, I, do you know what I mean? I just think everything happens mm. for a reason you're on your own timeline I mean I didn't come back to jazz um until much later like much way into my 20s really I didn't discover jazz again and that, that it was a love of mine because it died basically with my dad right. so uh, you know coming back to it was this big huge like huge moment where I was like oh my god I love this music I love singing this music like where has this been all my life and then I kind of like traced the dots and went back to my dad I was like oh my god of course you know, like we didn't do any of this stuff. Even yeah. though I remember all these songs from the big bands and stuff. It, like, you know, I didn't know anything about it. Like, so yeah, that's been a whole process as well. It's quite a leap to to know instinctively to spend your whole student loan on setting up a business <laughs> and then to work to make the money. Um, very you, it's Amy. What, it's what crazy people do, Rob. But the thing mm. is, like. I, 
thing is, the more I know about entrepreneur, what is that word? Entrepreneur? Yeah, um, entrepreneurialism? No, that sounds that right like word? a good word. I mean, it feels right. Like entrepreneur, whatever the whatever that word is. Um, the more I the more I know that that is actually what people do. They they just put everything on the line. Like, um, and but at the same time, it wasn't a risk because like, I was working. So it was like, okay, well, you know, I'll use my student loan for that. Then it wasn't like I was like gambling tons of money. It was get I got given that money anyway. Yeah. So then I used, you know, and then I and then I worked to survive. <laughs> like so, but uh, you know, there's a cost to everything, um, and the cost was that my time at college was extremely work focused. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like as I said, it all paid off. So, and also going to college a lot of the aim like some of the older generation teachers i had they just dropped out when they started getting gigs they were like well i'm here in order to be able to work once i can work yeah. i no longer need to be at college so you know yeah. you kind of um seems like a pretty good idea to me and then years later you went back to study at guild hall is that right that's true yeah so um i mean geez like this is this is a comp. I mean, I know we've got to condense this down, but I mean, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it anyway because I, there's no way that I can't talk about I can't talk about Guildhall without talking about the other things. So yeah, um, so yeah, so I so I started to love jazz. So mid twenties. So obviously we'd moved the, we'd moved the band to London, and that was extremely expensive because I knew that we had to be operating in London, but we had this whole northern reputation, and um, and we. But I knew that I needed to be, I wanted to operate at levels, excellent, you know, excellence levels within the industry. And I knew that we had to be in London for that. So I I, I relocated the whole company from the north to the south. And right. that was so, I don't think people understand, can even comprehend the levels of expense that that costs. Because basically you are, for years, you're running with a northern client base who will pay a certain amount of money. But you're then employing London musicians to get your reputation, to get your foot in the door there. And for years this went on. So I was having to pay people London rates on Northern contracts for like about three years until things started to regulate. It wasn't until probably 2015 or 2016 that we really put ourselves on the map in London. And it was just, oh my God, it was, the, it was, it was, it was extortionate. I mean, I'm still not a homeowner, put it that way. Like... Like, so it's fine now, but oh my god, it was such a process. Yeah, um, but the right one at the same time, like it was a huge risk. But meanwhile, in the back, I was still trying, you know, to work on my musicianship, and um, I had been um. And yeah, and then so I'd be started playing a lot with obviously Pete, Peter Lee. Um, always played with Pete, like Pete and me have played together for ages. And I just was like, this is the music that I want to be doing. I want to be doing jazz music. Like I want to be learning about this. Um, and we were doing loads of like you know duo gigs and residencies and that. Um, I want to try and do a master. So I did all my lessons with uh, Adita Waddell, um, various people to try and get you know get me up to kind of like audition level. Um, an audition for Academy and audition for Guildhall. And 
I actually did okay in academy auditions, which I was shocked at. Like, they didn't, they didn't kick me out straight away. <laughs> they actually asked me to go back. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Like, but they, but they basically said to me, you know, like, this is, it's all great, but, you know, theory-wise, you're going to be in a washing machine if you come, which is, to- which is totally fair enough. Um, and it was right. He's like, you're going to just be stuck going round and round, you know, and I just didn't, I wasn't strong enough in my theory at that point. Um, I still am, I'm not, you know, but, then I so then I went to Guildhall, but I started at Guildhall, um, and it was around that time that the company was very fresh out of this London move. Sorry, yeah, moved to London, and so we were like kind of catastrophically in the red, um, really, really heavily in debt, um, and I was having to manage the company and keep the cash flow going and that kind of thing just to make sure that. We would always be fine, you know. Bills would be able to be paid, even if it was like money from the future or whatever. Um, and it was an extremely stressful time, really stressful. And then a series of events happened in my personal life, um, which were very, very catastrophic. Um, which very closely mirrored something that had happened to me when I was a child. Um, the most, well, it was actually surrounding my my dad's death, and then the the events that followed that after that. Um, and I went into Guildhall first year with what I now know recently, only found out recently, even got a diagnosis recently, um, was the f- the first few years of quite, I won't say chronic, but I had PTSD. So um, I didn't know that I had PTSD. I knew that I was unstable. I knew that like something was wrong. Um, my voice was really affected. My ability to like, deliver and concentrate was really affected like but I was still determined you know very determined to keep plowing on and keep trying and um I think that was evident to a lot of people around me I was you know almost desperate in what I was trying to do like it was almost like um what's the word it was just very very intense because it wasn't coming from a good place right so I did I I got into Guildhall unbelievably still through you know through all that did my first year and on top of everything else you know the load of the masters um you know trying to keep the company afloat um and you know my mental health I just completely burnt out (laughs) and at the end of the year I had to pull out so I never finished so I did my first year and I was going to carry on to do my second um but I just couldn't manage my life at all my life was just an absolute it was completely in tatters and trying to do a master's while managing this monster of a company and everything else was just too much so and I'm I have like I I did learn a lot in that year that I was there but it was very theory based I was gonna it was gonna go on to do the jazz like the jazz singers and all that kind of thing in the second year and that's all the stuff that I missed and I think like I don't regret anything because everything happens for a reason but I guess if there was a sore point that would be it because I never got to do any of that yeah. I never got to work with Scott. I never got to work, you know, with like all the close harmony stuff. I never did any of that. Um, I, but it just had to happen. I had to stop. Otherwise I was going to kill myself, literally. Not obviously, you know, I was, something was really, really, really going to, going to give. Yeah. Um, and so then after that, I had, I basically just essentially, apart from having to run the company, which is thankfully what kept me going. Otherwise I would have jacked everything in at the time. I had no choice but to run the company because it was so heavily in debt. I had to get it out of it. 
Yeah. Um, I just basically went into so I, I I stopped doing all my music. I pulled out of my masters. Um, I just stopped everything, you know, and did the absolute bare minimum, which is only really finished. And I've come out, come back out into the world again, relatively recently, probably in the last year or so. What's helped you to come back to the world? Because that's a long time to to work through your the, the pain and suffering and PTSD. So it was seven. It was seven. The whole the whole thing. I, I put it down to about a seven year seven year cycle, um, it, and which only really ended last year. But it was actually getting the diagnosis that helped me out of it. Um, because I'd been, ver- I'd been very confused and like, you know, what's wrong. And I didn't understand. And the thing, my, my voice was heavily affected because my, th- I would, I would be constantly trying to deliver, like constantly trying to deliver what I knew I was capable of. And I was never able to deliver it. And it, you know, the in, in turn, that was like harming my reputation and everything. And all of those things, everything was, was, was weighing in to, um, to the sickness, like, you know, cause it's, the reason that it happened in the first place was because I was already in a chronic state of stress. So it was like, I was in a chronic state of stress with the company and everything that I was trying to manage in my life. And then plus this stuff that happened, it was just a perfect storm. But then what happens when you have obviously something like that and, and you're going through something like that, you make bad choices and you do bad things, not bad things, but you make poor decisions and you hang out with the wrong people. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that come with it that you don't, that people don't really talk about and all of those things um you know comp- compounded and impacted impacted the whole journey so not knowing what was going on with me um was also very probably like made it a lot longer process than it should have been um had I got the help early on and known that that was a possibility because I never imagined you can get PTSD some from something like that I never ever thought like you know, that that would be something that um, I would, you know, you hear about yeah. people getting PTSD from all sorts of reasons, like childbirth, war, all this, like, you know, really stuff, like chronic stuff. But if I think about where I was in my head at that time, and then the things that happened and how it ties into my childhood and music and all that kind of thing, it does actually make perfect sense. But um, I think I started probably about five years in to be like, right, something is wrong with me. I'm not, something is not right here. This has lasted for so long. And yeah. I had loads of symptoms and I had all this stuff going on. And I thought I was just suffering with depression or anxiety or whatever, or social anxiety as well, because that was a huge thing. Um, and uh, and then, and then yeah, so I started on a, a bit of a healing journey, I guess. And I tried lots of things, um, all of which actually were beneficial. Um, but it, it wasn't until I'd gone through a few things and kind of got myself into a bit of a better state and able to see things a bit more clearly that I started to entertain the idea that it might be something like PTSD. Um, and I search it, look into it being thinking, hang on a minute. Cause I had like physical tics. I had, my throat was closing up every time I was singing. Um, I did a couple of horrendous gigs where like, you know, I really wanted to do my best. I really wanted to deliver what I knew I could. There was one in front of universal or singing for an artist and my throat literally closed up down the mic which made a horrendous sound <laughs> in oh. front of all like universal officials and this guy like never spoke to me ever again he never paid me do you know what I mean it was That's like, awful but but you know but like you can't it just was it is what it, it, it is it was what it was 
you know, it was a, it was a really bad time. And it wasn't until I did a gig like that where I realized something was very, very wrong. And I wasn't able to be who I was and what I was capable of. Um, so I think like to come back to, sorry, I've gone off on a tangent, but to come back to, you know, what you said, um, about coming out of it, it's been a, it was, it was a process every year, every year I'd get a little bit better every year it would get, and I'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm out of it, you know? And then yeah. another year passed, you'd look back in hindsight and go, Oh God, no, I'm not. Yeah. And, um, and so as I said, yes, yeah, so I, I started to research into it. I was like, oh, God, I think then there might be a possibility that this is what's been going on because I'm ticking a hell of a lot of boxes here. Um, so I went to went back to therapy and I'd been going to this therapist, um, but I'd always danced around, you know, the, the big umbrella of the problem. It had always been the small things that were happening in my life, like as a result of this thing. Um, and I just said to her, like, listen, this has been going on and you know, what do you think? And she was, so she, we, we went through the whole thing. And for the first time ever, I, I told her everything and, you know, told her the full picture, the full story, you know, all the symptoms, everything. And she was like, well, of course you've had PTSD. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. And I've been managing it on my own, you know, yeah. and my, my had really, 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 really taken. And my singing had really taken like a monster of a hit um, for that period of time. And so I think that people, you know, know me mostly for running the band, like, because that's all I was able to do during that time. Um, but getting that diagnosis was just like the biggest release. And it was yeah. just like, oh my God, I haven't been okay. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I haven't, I, I knew that something was wrong. I haven't been okay. Like I haven't been able to do that. I'm not shit. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a shit singer. <laughs> like I'm not a shit person. Like I know what I'm doing. But I the sense been of relief must have just been overwhelming, in a, in a it, sense. And it was just the final puzzle piece, like to make to to. I was angry that I was furious actually. Like I was furious that that I had not known that that had been going on, and this and the things that had been sacrificed along the way, and the opportunities I'd missed out on, and like you know my development as a vocalist and like seeing my friends, I think, and my peers like soar in, you know, various different ways. And I was constantly held back by this thing that I didn't know. Like, you know, I was going to auditions and just stacking it, like just being so bad in these auditions and being like, what is wrong with me? Like, why can I not deliver? Um, and, you know, and that also plays into reputation, you know, it's, a, it's hard, like it's hard to, it's very hard to, no one's going to understand. You know, people don't, don't understand. You do a shit audition. You've just done a bad audition. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> but anyway, so, yeah. And so I, th I think that was the catalyst. Getting a diagnosis, it was probably like probably 18 months ago now was the catalyst. And, I, and the, it drove enough. I had enough fury to kind of almost completely overhaul my life. Um, and And just be so angry at, about the, the decisions that I'd made during the process and things that were in place that shouldn't be. So I just wiped everything. I wiped everything that I knew was bad for me. Um, and, and was a result of me, you know, things that I took on as a result of being in that mental headspace. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And it's been a process since then, like finding my voice again, you know, falling in love with music again. Um, feeling like my confidence was shattered like you know I think people who people who know me in the band will not 
well, we struggle to see this, but it, the band has always been my comfort zone. It's been my family. I can always go back there and just perform and go through the motions and sing the songs, you know, and do the songs I've been doing for so long. But in terms of my creativity and my musicality, you know, that was just completely gone. My confidence completely gone. Um, and for the last year and a half, that's basically what I've been focusing fully on rebuilding. Um, and I think in the last few months, I'd say that I really started to, even in, I would even say literally in the last two months, um, have I started to be like, right, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back into the room now. Like I'm starting to be able to do what I used to be able to do. Yeah. And my confidence is coming back and I'm feeling like myself again. So yeah, it's been a whole, a whole thing. To go from there to being ho like hosting the World Cup and playing to crowds of, I don't know how many, 30,000 people all outside, you know, that must feel very good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, but I think with, the, with that, um, the, it was, yeah, it was, four, it was actually 40,000 people. I mean, that, that was mad. We, just, we only found out about it two days before we went. Oh, here's your crowd. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, we're not prepared for that at all. But I think it was a turning point for me. Um, I wasn't actually going to sing on that gig. You know, I was in I was in the headspace of, I was still in that headspace of being like, oh, it's okay, I'll go manage it. You know, like I don't want to, I just, I just, I, again, I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And then we saw the, and I was like, you're an idiot. Just sort yourself out. Like get out on that stage and just do it. And, you know, we have a new couple of new members of the team who have just been absolutely amazing for me in terms of nurturing uh the best out of me like you know mark like mark is probably mr mark he, angel's one of the greatest yeah, isn't he well literally just what a legend um just um just so amazing on every level and like and just so brilliant at, at showcasing and getting people getting the best out of people around him like and i don't even think that he realizes that he's doing it i don't think that's you yeah. know but he does and having him there and having him believe in me you know and be like come on this is going to be your moment to shine like I'm going to do these tracks do this learn this get this done like I haven't had someone that will do that for me for such a long time and and I was able to get out there and yeah and and we were just tearing this stage up and I was like okay what we've got here is you know really special and the team that I've got around me is really special and also like I can do this you know like I am yeah. capable regardless of what has happened, regardless of the things that, that things have happened, regardless of any shattering of musicality or singing ship, singership, <laughs> or like, you know, performance-wise anything, I'm still there and I've still got it. I can lead a band in front of 40,000 people. Um, and it honestly was like a walk in the park. And, I, and, and you know, that, that was, so yeah, it was, I was like, oh, come on enough now like you know this process is this thing has been going on for so long like enough just enough like yeah. so yeah world cup was like a huge a huge point of like recognition in terms of my capabilities for me i think as a performer and the fact that even though there's so much time had passed and you know i'd got a bit older and i'd potentially gone over the hill like from what i'd i'd, I'd thought we well a lot of women thought i think in college a lot of female singers but times have changed now and I think, you know, there's a lot, things are a little bit different with that and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of female performers and singers, you know, have very, very fruitful careers well into, you know, decades that I didn't previously actually think possible. Um, so, so yeah, but it, but the crowd was 
one thing. But that's a faceless crowd of, you know, people who it just feels like one sea of people. It's not yeah. they're intimate about it. You know, they're not actually then well they might be but not many people are actually listening to you from a musical point of view and I was still finding that in intimate settings I was still kind of falling apart right um as a singer and so and it had been on my night on my mind to to start this night um my own night for a long time so yeah I started that around the same time back in November and December and it's still running now every week. Yeah, you said about missing jams when you were working at Leeds. I wanted to come back to this because it's like a it's your chance to have the business and now do that as well. Tell us about your jam night. So yeah, so the so the, it's, it's called the Love Jam and um it was set up between me and a few of other people um who I really wanted to we wanted to break the jam night mold, I think. I think like you know, there's a lot of nights that play the same songs, the same songs that come up. Um, and I think that there can be sometimes, um, it can be a bit egotistical, egotistical kind of at jam nights. It can be mm. a bit kind of like, who are you playing with? What are you doing? You know, who's doing what? Like, is this the place to be? Am I going to get more gigs out of it? Blah, blah, blah. And like the reason that I personally set the jam night up, it was it had been weighing on my mind for probably about over a year. It was in the back of my mind, like set the jam night up, jam night, jam night, jam night. But the jam night, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, it's like it's going to be another business endeavor, and do I really want to do it? And you know, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm scared about it. Like, I don't really want to like put myself out there. But it just kept coming back to me, like set this night up, set this night up. And um, so I did. I set the night up, and I got other people to host it, and. It was with a couple of other people that were also trying, that needed to, that not did, didn't need to show off. But they needed to get better at certain things. There was a lot of us in that boat. People had been through certain things. They knew what they were capable of, but they weren't delivering or they were weak in certain areas that they weren't nurturing. So it was a collaborative effort between a few of us, which was like, right, let's set this jam up because, you know, I've just come through out of the back of this. A couple of other people had, you know, gone through something else. Um, and I know, I know where I'm lacking as a singer at the moment. And it's, it's really here, like the function stuff, whatever, you know, I can, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can do functions. Like I've done enough of them to know what I'm doing with functions, but it's like the more obscure music and the stuff, which is really intimate and you know, blending like harmonies, um, you know, like really listening to the musicians, like on a much more musically com complex level right. and I knew the, I was going to get that opportunity as if I did it myself so yeah we started back in November and I'm not going to lie like you know those as as I expected the first few nights of it were were for a good few weeks were an absolute car crash <laughs> like <laughs> I was I wasn't even I wasn't even confident enough to sing at these nights or put bvs on anything like I just wanted to kind of do it set it up and watch it. Right. Um, it was becoming more and more apparent that I needed to be hosting it, like, and I needed to be running it and singing at it and be a prominent member of the night rather than just skulking in the shadows at the back <laughs> and pretending that I had nothing to do with it, which is often my favourite thing to do with stuff yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> even the band, like, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so... So yeah, so I, I was like, all right, screw it. 
I'm, I know I'm going to stack it. I'm going to host this tiny night with everyone staring at me. And, you know, in the process of rehabilitating my voice and my musicality, like, and, and it was tough. Like I made a fool of myself in front of a lot of very prominent members of the London music community. Like I knocked tables off, of, sorry, glasses off of tables like I was stuttering. Um, I was like, oh God, all of it. But the thing is, like, I knew that I knew that I had to do it. Like I knew that I had to go through that because if I didn't do it, then I was just gonna stay stuck. Um, and yeah, and and over time, you know, my confidence came back and my love of music came back, and my, you know, I guess like ability to believe in myself and what I'm capable of came back even if that process was unfortunately done in public, <laughs> but I had no choice. I guess sometimes it has to be done. In it's like you just, you can't just stay within the four walls of your own house. Like, um, but there was a particular album as well that, that brought me out as well musically. And that was the, the Dawn album by Yeba. Um, and I, I will always, always, I will always, that album is probably going to hold the most significant place in my heart, I think, forever. Yeah. Um, it just turned things around for me. And, like, her ability to um, just fuse everything, like her, her her harmony knowledge, like her vocality, like, you know, her, her just everything, her songwriting, like the connection that she has to her voice. I've just, I, I never heard anything like it, apart from maybe Frank the first Amy Winehouse album but she right. was not in she was not in a good headspace and I think that that showed whereas with Yeber it's a lot more pure like and she really is not messing about on that album and I think a lot of people that have heard it in the industry you know it, it's just I think it's one of the best albums that's ever been written like as from a female singer perspective um and I'm surprised that it it didn't do better. I think she was nominated for one Grammy, maybe a maybe one one for one song. Right. It's just for me, it's just an absolute masterpiece. Um. So, so yeah, that was so the combination of that and, um, you know, going through the process of the jam night. We, we're now running a relatively successful jam night, like which has become something really beautiful, which is no egos and like no bad vibe and no competitiveness and people can come and do whatever they want and we've attracted some brilliant musicians and brilliant artists like um and it will continue to grow it's only we were it's, we're, we're only back in actually our second month of a three-month run um at the moment but every week gets better and every week we attract more and more amazing talent um and it's just not a competition you know like yeah it's not not a place it's not a night where you have to be seen it's the love jam we only are doing that you know we're making a really such a great name yeah it's the love jam people come on now at at love shack so the the venue is love shack and they're like that's an amazing venue as well like super hippie kind of like you know all free love like (laughs) we just like we've managed to capitalize on it completely like amazing food like you know great cocktails it's just a really like it's like doing a really warm, welcoming, loving. It's having like having a really warm, welcoming, loving experience in your front room, and that's always what we wanted to do. But at the same time, with amazing musicians, um, and you know, people who aren't going to make you feel inferior, yeah. um, 
because we're all on a journey you know like everything is a, you know I was massively I'm massively on my journey with this night and it's very important to me from a musical perspective to continue with it um and every time I've tried to be like oh god you know I don't think I just carry on with it it's costing too much money or like you know it's not we're not getting enough people through the door it's just been like no carry on because yeah. you're getting more, um more out of it currently than I'd get from any other gig so yeah Wow. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the Jazz Podcast. I have loved every second of this incredible. Your story is one of great resilience and determination, which is a very universal quality that, you know, resonates with a lot of people. Love of music and singing, which is really inspiring. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much for listening to the Jazz Podcast. Please consider following our Instagrams, Twitter accounts. You can support the show directly on the Buzzsprout jazzpodcast.com website now. We have a Patreon if you'd like to support us that way. A lot of love and hours and organization between myself and Tara and all of our wonderful guests goes on to make this show and we really appreciate all the support we can get. It's a tough time if you don't have any money uh, that you can contribute to the show at the moment. We completely understand if you consider telling your friends, sharing the episodes that of course would massively help us as well if you'd like any jazz podcast merchandise t-shirts hats anything like that let us know send us a message because we actually have some very nice shirts that we uh keep in stock would you believe great to wear to a gig eh what could you possibly want to show up in more so than a jazz podcast t-shirt thanks for listening gonna edit an episode with rob buckland the great northwest bass saxophone player professor at the rncm we did do this show very late one night so i'm gonna go over it now and hopefully it's amazing let's find out if it doesn't appear next week then we better redo it it must have been nonsense have a lovely week listeners speak to you soon